everyone. Welcome to From No to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy at Genesee Community College. It's not lost on me and Norm that we are two of the most privileged people on earth. Not only were we born in America, but we were born white, male, and straight. The odds of this happening for any given baby being born in the world is hard to estimate, but it's significantly less than 1 in 70 chance. We'll never fully understand what it's like to be disadvantaged, but we can use our platform to explore the philosophical questions behind social justice and discrimination, hopefully lending some insight into the motivations of the various parties involved. All right. Um... It's become kind of a running joke on this podcast, right? We talk about how we want to um, be an evergreen podcast, you know, so people can listen back to it in the future and <laughs> not know when things were recorded. And then every single podcast, we bring up a current <laughs> current event that's happening. Isn't that kind of hard? I mean, but if we didn't, then we would be just talking in in uh, the abstract. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, philosophy can be purely abstract, mm-hmm. but at the same time... Um, it's an interesting thing, right? Because you can look back at early philosophy, the Greeks and whatnot, and say, yeah, that's still relevant today, but some of it isn't as well, you know? <laughs> so we talk about the Greek pantheon or something, and it's kind of like, oh, well, that seems kind of outdated, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, there's a certain aspect of it where there's enduring perennial qualities to philosophical topics, but philosophy is not just an abstract conceptual thing it does it also very concrete there's definitely um repercussions consequences yeah. um things that you know go into it and, and a lot of what we're seeing today is is about philosophy the things that are happening in politics the things that are happening socially um a lot of the polarization is due to the philosophies that people hold yeah yeah well i'm and i'm i'm really I'm glad that we both wanted to talk um, on this, and we may talk about more than more than once about all of this because it's so overwhelming. But um, we have a platform. You've you've created that for us. We've been talking about many many things, honestly and and, and forthrightly and and informally uh, for some time now. And as you said at the beginning. We are, neither of us can know what it is like to be black or Latinx or, or um, we, we know intellectually what we think we know, but we are being asked at one of the same time, at this time, at this historical moment, to listen um, not to mansplain, not to whitesplain, uh, to listen, um, to to own that for folks who may not even be aware of our own history, which is really hard not to be aware of our mm-hmm. own history, but but to get back to be aware of our own history, to say it's got to be better than this, um, and and so. Uh, I I would f- have felt remiss, uh, no matter how many times I trip over myself, how flawed it, it may be, not to talk about this because I have great regard for the young people, the older people uh, who are out in their 70s and 80s and, and teens and, and everywhere in between. Uh, putting themselves at risk of coronavirus, uh, wearing masks for the most part, and and doing the, the the best with that. But this this double storm of the coronavirus, which disproportionately affects people of color, and has and economically and socially, and and then the the, the brutality issues with the with the police. Not every police officer, but the institution itself, if one looks at the history, um, has a basis in keeping order, an order established by uh, 
a dominant culture, right? Right. And so it requires intellectual dismantling and rethinking about the whole process of society, which I don't know I'm talking too long, but I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to open, I'm trying to open it up is, is my daughter and I were talking last night about this. Um, she's very active. Um, I, and humble about it at the same time because she recognizes herself as a person of privilege. Uh, but she, we were talking about Hobbes and and Locke and Rousseau and you know and my wife and I think it is time that we got back to really asking those questions that you and I have talked about before. But this is the moment of what is it we expect of a government? What is it that we expect of ourselves as part of a larger group? Mm-hmm. Um, and if and if we are still in a position of of necessarily talking about us and what we have and some other them and what they have and and so on or don't have and then we're still not a unity. It right. should be just an us. And and I think the protesters are working really hard at trying to get us to realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, you and I were talking about it before the show some. Um you know, it's going to be a, a bit of a difficult episode because um, in attempting to remove the politics and the preconceived notions um, from the discussion of discrimination, of social justice, you run up against a really a lot of hard questions, um, especially for two straight white American males <laughs> to talk about. Um, you know, and some of that leads to things that... Um, conservative people be very uncomfortable with such as defunding the police or that sort of thing. And some of them are going to be very uncomfortable for um, more liberal leaning people. Like can white people be discriminated against? Um, But if we're true to philosophy, if we're true to um, thinking about things openly without preconceived notions, there are questions we have to ask. There there are things we have to discuss. Um, And you know, you can never quite remove the politics from a discussion like this because, as we talked about in our politics discussion, um, the primary component of politics is power, and discrimination and social justice is all about power. inequalities and power. Uh, uh, yes. So the two are not, um, you cannot separate them fully. You cannot breathe and not talk politically. I mean, I, I, it's as simple as, as that. Mm-hmm. We make this, people dance around politics because they think, oh, well, we, we'll just stay away from politics. How? How do we stay away from politics? We talk about who's going to go to the grocery store today on a minuscule level. That's political. Um, am I, uh, is, uh, what's the power arrangement if, uh, um, if my wife who's a better cook by far and bigger and loves that work but does that and so i say well okay i'll do the dishes well then i've i've established some kind of uh, is is there truly an equity in that or am i just saying well as the guy i'll, I'll you know and, and it's much more complicated than that but but you know even those if you if you try to render it with a good with a sense of humor on something as non-political as, as mm. that so to speak um, you realize that it is, and, and it's, and you know, I think maybe, and maybe I'm just utopian, despite all. I don't think so. I don't wear rosy lenses. I, we're all human, and so that I think the question is: Is it possible for us to treat each other better, and not to be lost in? preconceived agendas that that uh, that are the engine for pain and suffering for a significant number of us and and if that's political let it be and you know mm-hmm. if, if we get too political you can always say nope we're not putting this one up but I, <laughs> I can't imagine you doing that but I, I I can't apologize for talking in this the, the political sense of where power is, and who has it and who doesn't. Right. And that's super relative, relevant to the, the talk. So let's, let's get into it. Let's, what is discrimination? How, 
how how do you describe it or is there one description well i don't think there is one description if you if you uh well think of think of the uh the the idea of we learn to discriminate let's take away let's not talk what let's use it as the word before the word is applied in grim circumstance we discriminate whenever we make a choice of one thing or another we look at a pile of things and we say oh that's that one drum head of yours and that set array that's in front of me right now that's interesting well i've i've exercised discrimination to choose one thing out of many to be focused on um that i know is not exactly what we're talking about but um it is important though it's important to make that distinction as we get farther on so i'm glad you did i know that you and i are both a um, fans of the Stanford Encyclopedia. We are, we are. <laughs> so when I went to read the entry for discrimination um, for this episode, there were eight different mm-hmm. dis- descriptions of discrimination. Um, and there's not one that is uniformly agreed upon. So that tells you the um, the difficulty in addressing the issue. It's not as simple as just saying, okay, well, discrimination is this. There's a lot of different perspectives on what it could be or what it is in different right you start scenarios. start on the surface uh, uh, can you recognize a difference in the uh, or uh, uh, can you differentiate among the the panels that you have used to soundproof this studio yeah so row by row I'll have some that are vertically um, arranged and some that are horizontally arranged mm-hmm. so I'm discriminating between the two I can I can make a distinction between the two right. And, and so that's the probably the most neutral. Um, what, what did you find the most interesting one in the Stanford? Because, they, yeah, there's a whole array. Um, or, or one that, that caught your... Did, did one catch your attention? I... I the one that really... Um, that I really had a hard time with was... I guess my sort of preconceived notion of discrimination was... Um, treating people differently or treating people um unfairly yeah an unjust right and i feel like that's what most of us are thinking you hear discrimination you think okay well you're treating somebody differently or unfairly um but then there was a philosopher in there who asked this question and this kind of blew my mind (laughs) he said is not giving blind people driver's license discrimination ah well it's not unjust Right, and so, and, and so, but it is a kind of it's 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 recognizing a difference, mm-hmm. uh, but recognizing a difference now. This for this uh, for for the safety of the individual, but in a more utilitarian fashion, for the safety of the people around that individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so based on the very acute inability to distinguish signage, (laughs) to recognize if people on the road when a car is stopped and so on and so on. However, some people of different levels of blindness do get licenses. And I don't, I don't remember that, that section that you're talking about, but there are levels of visual impairment. Yeah. Uh, So, So it creates an interesting question, right? Because I think that, you know, most of us are coming into this with our our preconceived notion that discrimination is very simply treating people unfairly or at a you know differently, and And, and, and that that falls into that because, you know, if you're if you're talking about a purely abstract form, none of us would agree in practice that we should give somebody who's legally blind a driver's license for all the reasons you just mentioned public safety um the personal safety of the person also but in an abstract conceptual concept you could say well you're restricting this person's freedom you're not giving them the chance that you're giving everybody else you know based off of 
something that they were born with, something they can't control, you know? Mm. And so, uh, okay. And so that, that's, that's one of the, when you, when you look at the, dis, the dis, uh, discrimination article, that's yeah. the interesting part is that, you know, you there's the notion of it has to be, it has to be something outside of the person's control. If you're discriminating against them for something outside of their control, that's when it's wrong. And that's where the discrimination argument gets interesting. That's where it splits to me. You mm-hmm. have moral, the moral argument of discrimination. Can discrimination be moral and immoral? And that leads to a really wide range of um, topics. It does. <laughs> well, and, and so I, 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 um, I hover within the big three, uh, so-called. The, 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 the primary categories that seem to have the most deleterious uh, effect on, on people without, without, without any basis for necessity uh, are race, which, which is a construct. And we know it's a construct. We have any number of which ways to Sunday this has been demonstrated historically, anthropologically, scientifically, philosophically. Uh, it was we didn't even know when it was when it was well, roughly fifteen eighty, mm-hmm. as a way of uh, categorizing people visually, and then and then the sixteenth century uh, as a, as a way of of trying to establish a, a hierarchical superiority of, of, of people by how much territory they controlled and colonized and so on. We, we know this. It was from the get-go a bad idea, and then it got worse. But pseudoscience took it in the 1800s, and we're, we're trying to do ridiculous uh, ideas of, of how large a head was and, and shape of head, phrenology, and all and that's totally debunked. Um, so whenever we talk about race as as and discrimination, it is uh, it is based on a construct that didn't need to exist and a construct that has only existed for uh, maybe six hundred years. Right. Yeah. And and there's a lot of and you know gender constructs are very similar. Um, you can imagine you go far back yeah. far enough in history. There probably comes a time where, for survival's sake, there's not a whole lot of splitting of duties. There's just people doing whatever needs to be done to survive, you know? <laughs> and, you know, again, same thing with, with a lot of different stuff. Yeah. And um, then there's age. That's the third one. So race, right, yes. race gender, and age are the, the trio that I was mm-hmm. re- referring to. Yeah, and ageism is probably one of the least recognized forms. It, it, it happens all over in in... America and really goes unnoticed by most anybody who's not directly affected by it, which brings us to a good, a good topic. So are there different kinds of discrimination? Um, and I, the answer is, is yes, there's, there's direct and indirect, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to give us a description real quick of what's direct versus indirect or institutional discrimination. Okay. I'll take a shot at this. Um, Direct discrimination is uh, for a white person to say to a black person, you're not good enough because you're black, or any of the awful terms that people use, or uh, or for a young person to say to an old person. And, I, and I'm dwelling more on the, the race construct because of where we are right now, and I think it's important, but, it, but for anyone to say to somebody else, you don't have the X capacity just because of how you look or just because of a calendar. I think that's, that, that's chosen and direct. The much more insidious uh, that we are all being invited to and uh, demanded of really to, to come to terms with is the underlying stuff that we might not even realize just because of <laughs> behaviorist training mm-hmm. of, of, of a lifetime or of many lifetimes across hundreds of years that something is just, that's just how it is. 
Right. That's still a discrimination, but it's a more insidious kind because uh, people will claim, however rightly or not, that they don't even know it's there. And, right. And I think that that's, you know, in, in a racial and in gender and in a lot of, a lot of discrimination, that's, that's the one that has the bigger effect and it is the one um, that the, the primary groups struggle with the most. Yeah. So a good example would be direct discrimination was um, the Brown versus, uh, you know, before Brown versus board to have yeah. um, white and black schools separated. Yeah. You're saying you're going to have different schools because you're black. Mm-hmm. That's direct discrimination. Indirect discrimination is after um, a black student attends an inferior black school. When that student goes to get a job and does not have the skills necessary to complete um, let's say a written test that doesn't have any sort of association with the job skills. Mm-hmm. So the student can't pass the test that doesn't have anything to do with the job, but because he didn't have or the, with skill, the student's intelligence, right? Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to do with intelligence or skills. No, it has to do with resources and where those and the, and the skills and, and, and the milieu I'm using that word, but that the, uh, the resources of of uh, community uh, and 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 the measurement of those resources based on the same scale when the resources are not equal. Mm. That, so that is indirect discrimination. You're not saying you can't have this job because you're black. You're saying you can't have this job because you can't pass this test. But this test doesn't really have anything to do with the job. The mm-hmm. test is mm-hmm. more just a gatekeeper mm-hmm. to sort of sort out who is black and white without bringing race directly into it. Yep. And so that institutional component is something that is hard for white people or people or men or men or any give any number of dominant um, social classes that hold power. It's harder for us to identify those because to us, that's the way it's been for hundreds of years. This is just this is just the way it's been. You say, no, you just have to pass that test to get the job because I had to pass that test to get right. that job. Right. But what it glosses over is that I was provided an environment that gave me the skills to pass that test. Um, so that's the big problem, I think, today. I can sit here and say, well, I'm not racist because... I've never called anybody a name or done this or that or the other thing, but the fact is I've participated in a system that discriminates against women or people of other nationalities or people of color and, and have and, taken and, advantage and, and, of it yes. without, without reflection. And that's why this is so necessary for to have conversations like I hope what I hope is whoever's listening to us and, and, we, and we've said before, we appreciate that you, that you do, and sometimes we're we're puzzled that the, the people do. But <laughs> but but the whole goal of this, going back to the very start, was that we wanted to not as if we had the game down solid. But but when I use this word, but but to model by by doing um, civil conversations, which can surprise us and lead us to places we didn't expect to make us question things. We, we knew we were going to question some things, but then we start questioning others. Because that's the, that, in combination with, with protest, in combination with demand for legislation, in combination with people keep pushing, that's what will lead I hope, and and I still, I still am afraid that it's going to take more than one generation because it has taken so many to create the problem. Have you ever read Ibram Kendi? Kendi? No, Ibram X Kendi. Uh, I, I started reading him. A, a friend told me you need to read this um, this year, and he's a, a number of books. He spoke in Rochester um, recently, and 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 he's and here's what he's. I think this is. I'm going to do. A, I'll take a quotation from it. Um, it's called "Stamped from the Beginning: The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America." Now, one of the things that Kendi is, I think, marvelous at, is he he divides everything into racist and anti-racist, but he describes what it is to be one or the other at the same time, saying that instead of just saying 
labeling somebody, as, as I'm understanding him, instead of labeling somebody as, oh, he's a racist, therefore he's always a racist, therefore everything he does is racist, and saying, no, we have to be aware that we have racist moments. And those are the ones we need to call out for ourselves and say, well, okay, what did I do there? And what could I done? Mm. Uh, 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 and, and that's why I find it fascinating. Um, uh, but he said the principal function of racist ideas in American history has been the suppression of resistance to racial discrimination. And it's resulting racial disparities. Well, if a system just presses and presses and says, no, I'm going to suppress this. Don't question this. This needs to happen because this is the normal functioning of society. And, and he's saying, no, we got to wake up and realize this is dysfunctional. We have to realize the dysfunctionality of it before we try to do something about it. Right. And so you're, you're hitting on what I think is the, the from key him. point of discrimination. Um, because, you know, we've been, we've been talking about it. We're sort of getting an idea. Um, you know, we've talked about how there's um, direct and indirect and moral and, and all these different things. But there's a key part of it, right? And I think that the, the key determining factor, and again, I could be wrong here because there's eight different descriptions of it. <laughs> but it, in my view, um, I think the two determining factors are oppression by a ruling class and it has to be a societal thing it can't you can't be an idiosyncratic group you know if <laughs> if i go to um you know let's say i go to a, a black neighborhood and, and they they um deny me service for something because i'm white is that is that discrimination um it, you know on some level perhaps but the fact of the matter is that small community doesn't have the power resources to to, right. to discriminate against me. Because the fact is, I can go to a different town, and you know, and the majority of towns I go to, I can go and receive whatever service it is. the The difference there is, if we flip the tables, if I'm black and I go to a white community and I'm denied some sort of service there's a very good chance that the majority of places I go, I'm going to be discriminated in the same way. And that's the big topic today is that yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. where you go in America. If you are a, a black person pulled over in traffic, you have to be afraid. Yes. And it doesn't matter where you are. So there's a societal, it's not an idiosyncratic thing. It's not that I went to inner no. city Harlem. No, no. It's no. A, if I, if you, if I went to Missouri or if I went to Montana or if I went to any one of these places, I'd face the same treatment. And as a white, straight male, you do not have that argument on your side. That's you true. cannot go anywhere and expect to receive an inferior treatment carte blanche. That, that's excellently said. Uh, and, 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 and an important realization. That's why I, I hope people are listening to you, a man in your 30s says this. There are times when, and this is where I think it gets hard. Uh, this, is, this is really, the, as Shakespeare would say, the, 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 the screw your courage to the sticking place. Well, we have a lot of courage to screw to the sticking place because we don't have a fundamental argument as a basis. Mm -hmm. What we have is good people trying to say to us, we are all in this together. Close your, <laughs> I'm talking on a microphone saying this, so the irony doesn't elude me, but close your mouth, listen to what we're saying. That's why I'm trying to refer to Kendi as somebody, I'm somebody with two master's degrees. So what? I'm learning so much every day mm. anyway. And, and it's all about reading and listening to podcasts and, and, and trying to, and thinking for just a moment, gee, instead of going to Amazon, what if I went to the list of, 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 of the regional list of businesses of people of color and order my, uh, my uh, stereo part or <laughs> that was dating myself or <laughs> order a coffee pot or whatever from that business consciously with intent, not to pat myself on the back and say, look, I'm being a hero. No, no, no. To say, I'd like to be an ally. And in order to do that, it's got to be feet on the ground doing things on a daily basis. Mm. Um, 
And that's where it gets removed out of the abstract and right into and, the concrete. And it's important. And, and like you're saying, um, the times are changing and attitudes are changing and people are learning. And this goes across the spectrum. You know, I'll, I'm, I'm going to say something that I'll probably never be president because I said this. Um, <laughs> I'll go back, right? Probably about, probably about 10 years ago, um, I had a friend that I worked with and um, this guy was um, in, in the closet gay. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very smart, very well-spoken, um, very well-liked by the opposite sex. You know, he, very philosophical, very deep thinker. Mm-hmm. Him and I had lots of discussions. Um, and I, I knew that he was gay, even though he, he didn't, he wasn't admitting it at that point. Now it's different. Um, but at one point, we never, never discussed the topic. And at one point he did bring it up, the, you know, the idea of, of gay rights. And like I said, this was about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying this, I said, I'm not against gay rights. I think that gays should have all of the rights people do. They should be allowed to marry and things, but I'm not gay. So it's not my fight. <laughs> you know, and thinking about that, thinking about that now versus then, you've you know, lived. that really, you've that lived. identifies, yeah. um, the big problem that straight white male Americans mm-hmm. have, um, mm-hmm. you know, because although that may have been my attitude 10 years ago, I think that's the prevailing attitude currently. There hasn't been enough progress made in that sort of thing to realize that, okay, even if you if you pay lip service and say that this this group should have rights if you are going to go and say that you're not willing to have any sort of part in it then you are supporting the systemic system that is currently intact that is that they're fighting against you know so you are just a silent enemy in other words that was Um, it's cool that you See, stories are what define us. Stories are what help us redefine ourselves. Every time we tell a story, every time we listen to someone else's story, um, we can grow, we can understand, we can uh, more, at least, and and we change because we change as we, as we go through our life experience. But you're absolutely right. When anybody in any circumstance says, well, that's not my fight. Well, that's essentially implying because I don't have any fights to do because we've got everything that we wanted to get because and now we just got to keep it. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's economy of scarcity. We got to keep it before other people take it away from us. And, and, and ignoring, ignoring the very basis of the, <laughs> the history of this country. I, I was, it's still maddeningly insulting, egregious, morally incomprehensible that that uh, our government would send during this pandemic uh, to a, a, a Native American reservation, not the requested PPE, but body bags just to cut to the chase. The, the, the very, uh, the immoral, unethical, uh, arrogant action, those actions speak so much to people who aren't white, right. <laughs> you know, and, and rightly so. There we go again. Right. right. Uh, because cause it's, it is saying something, you know, the police brutality, all right, that's, dis- that's direct discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sending the body bags or the standing idly by that indirect discrimination is still saying something. It's still saying, um, you know, okay, well, I believe everybody should have these rights, but I'm not going to fight for it. That's making the distinction between me and fellow Americans. It's not, it's not talking about a unified us. It's saying That's that's you you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And that's that's a form of discrimination. And it's know? the and it's the hard work. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to call it hard work because it is. To engage. If you hear someone say something horrific to somebody else, and you just say, oh, well, okay, I'm just gonna bypass that. Um, it's it's what I one of the things I very much liked 
about teaching because within that classroom space, if one hears something, one can take it right on. And, and it doesn't have to be in, in a way that uh, that belittles anyone, or it, it needs to be in a way that says, did you hear what you just said? Mm-hmm. Well, somebody said, well, yeah. Then you didn't hear what you just said. Let's talk about what you just said. Uh, and, and, and that's the possibility. Uh, many people... And my daughter and, and, and my son and my daughter-in-law, they remind me, they, they, they teach me. Um, you know, many people, perhaps most people, uh, when actually engaged in a conversation, will... I'm not gonna. It's not trying to change everybody all, completely. It's not a, a utopian vision, but might engage with an idea and and say and think to themselves, or even say, you know, uh, okay, I won't. I won't agree with you about everything, but um, that I didn't know, and therefore X, Y, or Z. Therefore, maybe I'll do something, or therefore, maybe I'll I'll try to not. Put something out where people can see it, or whatever it happens to be. That's progress. Yeah, there has to be an awareness and a willingness to learn different things, right? Because, like we just, like I was just talking about, um, and like you talked about with with your author, all of us are racist at some point. All of us discriminate at some point. Um, you know, are sexist or are um, homophobic or whatever. But. The real difference, the thing that makes the difference is if you're somebody who embraces those beliefs or if you're somebody who at some point in time has a moment where you realize, oh, that's kind of ugly, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize it before, but I'm going to make a conscious choice to engage differently now, you know, yeah, and that's a difficult thing. And, um, you know, but it, it's an important thing. It, uh, you know, you, you say that, and I can't help but think, because this this is a localized historical thing, too, so the context is here. If I've, if somebody's listening to a podcast, who knows what the Internet's going to be like in 100 years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if somebody actually stumbled onto it, they'd say, what, what? You're aware of what happened to Buffalo. Yeah. So it's, this is a public record, and I have no names. But here's a unit of police officers. One 75-year-old man walks up to them. And this is the good thing about about people watching each other more now, right? They said he tripped. He didn't trip. Clearly, they pushed mm-hmm. him. Down he went. Serious, uh, serious injury. And two officers uh, suspended as a result. And 57 officers of that, of that unit resigned. Not in protest of what the two officers did, but to support those two officers for being punished for what they did. Mm. And that is a really striking local uh, iteration of what we're talking about if if you if you can't admit that something was clearly troublingly wrong if you're so trained that you just walk on by when somebody is in distress and if you then say they went after my buddy so i'm going to quit too no 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 i mean that uh, what learning has taken place there? None. Mm-hmm. And what messages be given to the larger community? Awful messages. And I, and I, you know, I hope if somebody lives in Western New York, that some of those officers, because so many officers are not brutal people, but the system is one of of either metaphorical and physical brutality. And so that works on one 
any one of us who works within a system, sooner or later, we are we we either confront the principles of that institution and we try to do something with it, or we succumb because it's just too hard to push against it or whatever. And it affects us. It changes who we are. But I think those kind of things, when people see it across the planet, this is the advantage of of all our communications, isn't it? I, the disadvantage is people can clip movie movie scenes and 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 make you think that uh, terrible people have lit the Washington Monument on fire, which was clearly not a real video. <laughs> but you have to be able. There's discrimination from an entirely different kind. You have to be able to discriminate between what is. Patently false and unlikely, and and and, and that's about um, discriminating uh, about how one is manipulated. Right, and that's um, it's very difficult nowadays. Um, you know, like we talked about, there's politics is going to play into discrimination because it's a power, it's a power struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, and and media influences are going to. Um, attempt to portray things one way or another. And uh, th this is really an instance where I wish we hadn't lost our episode on perspective, right? You know, cause <laughs> Did we lose the audio too? Did we, yeah, I didn't get anything from it. So I got to go back. And look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe, I, maybe we can find yeah. it. Um, but yeah, so so let's say this, right? You know, I, I've seen the video um, and I've been somebody who's been trained, you know, trained in different, um, different roles. So... I'll say this, right? If you watch that video all the way through, um, within seconds of the man being pushed and falling, the police officers are then engaged physically with protesters, right? So, in my mind, in my putting myself in their perspective, using some of my past um, experiences and past training and stuff, you can imagine these guys their adrenaline's very high they're expecting a certain outcome going into a situation there's a whole lot of things going on um and watching the video i think there's a chance that it, it was accidental in the terms that maybe they meant to push him and they didn't think that that he was going to fall that way or maybe they thought they were pushing him lighter but their adrenaline was amped up or what have you now does that make it all right? No, because what that highlights to me is that even though there may not have been an intent there, the system, the systematic um, way that police are used in this context is inherently flawed. Mm -hmm. um, and this, we'll talk about what I was alluding to at the beginning of the episode. Um, there's an argument coming up right now about defunding the police. And I think that if you are at all of a conservative persuasion, you are immediately enraged by this. Yeah. What do you mean defunding the police? There's terrible people out there. We need the police to protect us from murderers or robbers or what, what have you. But if you look at the structure of the police in the current context, what you realize is that there's no need for the way that they're employed. If you see the equipment that they have, the weapons that they have, they have military grade weapons. The they have tactics, weapons that you would have had as, as, as in the army. Yes, they have. They have many of the same weapons that I would have used in the army, without the standard operating procedures to engage individuals that I had. You know, I remember specifically a very specific case um, of a, a sergeant telling me about a time he had in our, in Afghanistan, where he was ta tasked with guarding a bridge. And, uh, you know, he wasn't allowed to let anybody pass this bridge. And so there was a man driving his car towards the bridge at a very high speed. And so he went through all of these different things. He, he shout, you know, he's shouting and he's waving and he's shooting his gun in the air and he's shooting his gun in front of the car. And he, he started trying to shoot for an engine block. And then he paused and he asked us all, so what do you think I did then? And almost all of the soldiers who were listening to his story said, you killed the driver. You shot the driver. And he said, no, I didn't. <laughs> he said, I, I just knew that there was some kind of misunderstanding. 
And so the car pulled up and came to a stop next to me. And it was an Afghani man. And he had no idea the bridge was closed. <laughs> Despite the fact that he was shooting at him, he was just completely oblivious, right? But this, this sergeant had gone through six or seven different levels of escalation before he got to a point where he would have even been allowed to take a physical action against this man. And even under that circumstance, he did not take that action. And this is at the height of Islamophobia. That's an extraordinary human being. You know, right. So, um, and you don't see that type of restraint and those types of things being in, you know, you see cops on the street firing tear gas canisters at people, firing rubber bullets at people. Um, Part of me wonders if this, this method of, holding a knee on a person's neck might be an actual training strategy, an actual failure in training, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as opposed to an, in, an intentful um, harm. I, I don't know that. You know, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see, you see other videos of police doing the same things. Yeah. So really, you know, what I'm getting at is that it's very difficult in some cases, to discriminate between an individual um, intent and a systemic um, problem, but it doesn't change the effect. It doesn't change the outcome of those actions, and it doesn't change the need for a reform. You just said that so well. So that's that's kind of the... um, That's that. So we're getting into the social justice aspect of it, right? So... What what is the interaction between discrimination and social justice? What you know, I think we've have we covered it. Is there more to it? You know, I think. Well, I'm sitting here as I often am with you, blown away at, at uh, with the the clarity that you just expressed that with with that story. I think that story is a microcosm of social justice. Even though it's military, even though it's it's it, it's in in. Uh, war in or near war war zone. Um, I think the only thing I can add with that is, is, is I'll try social justice. I'm no expert. I live in the society like everyone else. I'm interested in justice. I want us to be social, <laughs> but social justice means everyone gets treated same way and so it's maddeningly simple and inordinately complex the maddeningly simple is if you take the best intent of our founders not the historical reality this is where we go to the abstract and the ideal and the platonic the best intent is we are all equal if we accept that uh Whatever acronym we we apply to try to be inclusive, if we accept that for people of color and people not of color and people gay and straight and and queer and trans and 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 we say yes, we are all equal. The moment we all start believing that truly, then this madness starts becoming much more a productive rebuilding of what we can be, I think. Do you think that that's something um, we can hope for? Do you think that's something we can actually accomplish? Don't you hope for it? I hope for it. Do you think it's something we can actually accomplish? (laughs) You notice why I turned that back? (laughs) Do I think it's something we can accomplish? I have to think that. Um, and that sounds like a strange response, I suppose, because who's making me think that whatever is left of my best self inside has to think that because it's because the alternative is astonishingly unacceptable. I, I, you, you don't want to look at anyone as an enemy. You, you know, you, you don't. I, I, you don't I, I have to think that because I care too much about people who've been my students for too many years 
to be in a world when I'm gone out of it that's going to be, I have to think that because, because of grandchildren. I, I have to think that because of my own kids. I have to think that because of my dearest friends across whatever spectrum you want to use. I, I cannot believe, because I, do, I, I don't believe that we are at our best historical moment now. I don't believe we were in January, before the pandemic and before the protests. We were not at our best. We have not been at our best. And we certainly haven't been headed toward our best. And if that, if that puts off more of our listeners, then let it. Mm-hmm. We have not been heading in a good direction as human beings. Um, and so, yes, I think we can. Because the alternative is, we're done. The pub is closed. The planet goes on. <laughs> but, but humanity, done. I mean, because we can't keep doing this. So that brings us to another um, question that's germane to social events currently, which is that, so if we believe it can be done, right? Um, well, we didn't ask you, did you, you didn't answer. At first, I want to hear, do you believe it can be done? Then ask your question. Or make well, your observation. Um, I think it goes along with this question, right? Okay. So, I think it depends, right? Um, because you think about it, it's about oppression. It's about power. It's about politics. It's about these things that are, um, I mean, the most powerful biological forces and social forces in the human experience, right? So do you think that this is something that can happen in a um, peaceful, a peaceful manner? Do you think you can have a shift in power, a, a sacrifice of power by one group, a gaining of power by another group, a, um, a political um, rebalancing Something that is so, you know, there's there's no other word. So powerful. Mm-hmm. Can you have that redistribution peacefully? Can a a group as a whole, not individuals, not me saying, you know, I'm going to do my best to do this, mm-hmm. but can you have that spread to an entire group and have that change in a peaceful manner? Of course, or are, yeah. or are rioting necessary well or, riot, I riots i think are in uh, are, are ex- explicably necessary you know, there was a time when i was younger when when i would have said some of the platitudes that the, some of the politicians make now was well peaceful peaceful protest is is of course uh, a right of any of citizen in the united states and, and the united states is built often on protests but none of this other stuff because you get in this other. Well, when you, when you, uh, as, uh, uh, let's see, when, uh, Reverend Sharpton at the, uh, George Floyd's, uh, funeral used the metaphor of the neck and the knee on the neck, he did it wonderfully. And he wasn't the first one to use that. Lyndon Johnson in the 1960s, now he's not a happy and really kind man, but Lyndon Johnson, in in talking to people about the civil rights, the, the, the beginning of the civil rights era, so to speak, with Martin Luther King, and so he's, he was talking to somebody and he said, what do you think happens when you've had a boot on somebody's neck for 300 years? What do you think they're going to do the moment that that boot lifts up? And that doesn't mean everything gets torn asunder, and, it, and there's no indication that, that, that pro, the protesters are not saying, let's just erase everything, let's reverse it, let's make it the opposite, and then let's do this again for 400 years. This, this is not happening. So I, I'm straying from it, but I think that, uh, yes, it can happen peacefully because our system is built that way. Peaceful exchange of power from one party to the next, back when parties... I don't know. When one person is elected uh, it happens relatively peacefully. Now that's not the the entire model, but can we do it? Yes. Um, are we I mean on a planetary scale, 
we are killing fewer people per year in war than has been true for a century. We are actually getting more peaceful. <laughs> that doesn't, and I, I say that with, I'm not laughing because it's just I'm being ridiculous. I'm just saying that in the broadest picture, we are capable. Like, will we? I don't know, but I think we have to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you bring up a good point, and I think that, again, it's perspective, right? What is, what goes along with power? Anytime you're talking about power or politics, what's what accompanies it? Mm, Excellent question. Fear. Mm. Fear accompanies it. So, if you're a white, straight American male, the system has given you certain things that you should fear to, to maintain your power, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, I, I do agree, I think the peaceful transfer of power can happen, and I think the way it's going to happen is when people who are white, or people who are male, or people who are straight, have interactions with the other and realize that their fears are unfounded. Yes. You know, and to me, you know, I can only speak anecdotally because I don't know everybody of every social group, but, uh, you know, I've talked to you in the past, not on the record, but, um, you know, coming from where I come from, you know, a rural town in upstate New York, I had essentially zero interactions with anybody of any other social group Mm -hmm. until I joined the army. Right. Mm And so joining the army and being exposed to people from all different groups, one thing that I immediately realized by being exposed to other perspectives and talking with other groups of people is that black people are amazingly peaceful and patient when you think about the history of what, of the country, of what's gone on. I mean, put yourself in your shoes. What if, what if every other week you were seeing white people murdered by black cops on the news. How long do you think that that would go on before there was violent protest, violent mm-hmm. riot? It would not take long. Mm-hmm. And it has been centuries mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you talk with the individuals, there isn't, you, you use the Lyndon Johnson quote, when you've had a boot on somebody's neck for, well, how do you think they're going to react? I don't think that, black people would react the way you'd think from the ones that I've talked to. Many of them, there isn't the anger that you'd expect. There isn't the, well, the calls for retribution. There's, there's, there's anger, sadness. There's, there's sadness. There's a sadness. And there's, there's, a, you know. there's sadness, there's anger, and you've... And you've I can't... You're expressing your, your interactions, and, and yes, I, there's justifiable anger, but there's not... As with most, as with most people, I, I I I refuse to think that the predominant number of human beings. The first thing I think about is how to kill somebody else. We get this disproportionate um, view, uh, partly because we make it up in our heads, partly because we we see an event spiraled over and over and over and over and over again, and suddenly that's not that one event, that's like 10,000 events. No, it was just one. In that, oddly, watch this, feel the shifting gears on this. It's like teaching writing. (laughs) What? (laughs) Because I'll have students who say, I've I've got so many grammar problems. And I read through their work for editing, just for surface editing, and well, you've no, it's ten times you've not used commas properly. So really, you've only got one problem editing. Not grammar is all bad or anything, right? right. And so, but I think that's that's the amplification that uh, mis represents to us uh, how human beings are. But I, you know, but I, I think it's absolutely understandable if people smash glass and everything else. Uh, not and not as a prescription or a recipe, but there was a comedian we were listening to the other night. I like to listen to stand-up comedy. The person said, "Well, let's see. You got a woman and you got a man, and they're both mad." I'm terribly paraphrasing this. Which one puts the fist through the door? 
Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, you know, I, no, I, I am, I am optimistic, even in the thick of, and, and to ask me in five minutes, maybe I won't be optimistic. But, right. but the very fact of the conversation and, and seeing what's going on. And today, today is just a huge protest day around the, the country. And, and I'm optimistic because, and these are tiny, tiny things, but they are, but they may add up to something. I'm optimistic because, um, in a desperate attempt to keep football for everybody, the 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 head of the I don't know what his name is, but it, it was in the paper today, Goodell or something like that. Anyway, because uh, I know nothing about football, but um, now it's okay for people to protest, <laughs> right? Right? Which is peeling some people, including the president. But <laughs> but but okay, okay fine. Uh, Minneapolis and some other places are, are setting up legislation so that the, uh, the chokehold will be illegal in police training, which makes it good. You know, uh, there are things, um, signs that people are paying attention, whether people pay attention, whether we even have any long-term ability to pay attention anymore, I, I don't know. But, mm -hmm. but there are signs yeah, and I think that, you know, coming back to is it possible, uh, you know, I think that there's a, there's a number of, of facets to that. And, you know, like you said, some of it, I think some of it is um, maybe it's disingenuous, right? Maybe the NFL commissioner, he's just saying that he doesn't want to lose um, viewers or whatever. Maybe so. But does it negate the good change that takes place from it? No. Maybe the police department is just eliminating the chokehold because they're trying to quell the unrest, but does that negate getting rid of the chokehold? Mm -hmm. um, no. And so I think what's going to happen is as, as you know, people make their displeasure with the status quo known mm -hmm. um, and changes start to be made, we're going to see, the fear that inspired those changes in the first place dissipate as these changes take place. And we start to realize, well, we made these changes and the world didn't fall apart. Mm -hmm. The world got better, mm -hmm. you know? And as though the fear around these stereotypes and these dis this discriminatory practices dissipates, um, I think there's a hope for a more, a more, um, equal society. One of the most optimistic things that I read t today has to do with your former life. Uh, uh, Mark Esper, who's um, essentially in charge of the military, right? Without consulting the president, he issued an order that, that uh, National Guard would not use ammunition of any kind against protesters. And he issued an order to pull some military back. Because the way things have been going, that didn't look like that was necessary. The, the, the military is never supposed to be a tool politically. Mm -hmm. That's where it goes really wrong into authoritarian regimes around the planet. And lots of criticism has been happening. And apparently he listened. <laughs> and I'm sure there's going to be lots of blowback about that. Um, but that's encouraging. Right. And so, you know, you, you just have to think about it. We, everybody wants the protests and the riots to go away. <laughs> Nobody wants this to be happening. Right. Um, and what do you think the quickest way for it to happen is? Do you think if you start firing rubber bullets and tear gas at people, that's going to make, that's going to, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll go home now, right? Yeah, right, you right, know? right, right. Um, or do you think that showing some kind of solidarity, saying that, okay, there's no longer you and me, there's us. We are, we're an equal, you know, one people. Do you think that's something that's going to have a, a more, a more positive, long lasting effect? Do you think that's something that's going to, um, cause people to want to return to their homes, return to peaceful life, you know? Mm. And one, one part of my story that I told earlier that I forgot to mention is the, the sergeant who didn't shoot on the driver was a black man. 
He was a black soldier. And so you you think about it and you think if anybody um you know understands a traffic stop, you know, understands the variables involved, who do you think it's gonna be? Do you think that a white soldier in that same situation would have not fired on this motorist? You know? Like and it story. gets into the deeper the yeah. deeper questions of um society and and fears and, and motivations and all those things. So it's so, um, a good place to, this is a good place to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been, man, it's been a real interesting talk and we didn't, we didn't cover everything. Can't, um, can't. yeah, you never can. Um, but I think that we covered a lot of, um, major things and, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it'll pop up in, in future discussions as well. So thanks for listening. And until next time, keep on. Moving.